So before we get started, I want to start with a question. When's the last time you had someone pay for something for you? And it could be big or small. Uh, for some, somebody, someone grabbed a meal for you, like you, you're out for lunch or dinner, and they said, hey, I got your meal. Uh, or you're driving down the turnpike, and you get to the toll, and someone just paid your toll for you. Or you're at, going to like an amusement park, and someone just happened to pay for your parking. Those are kind of cool surprises, right? And then there's the big ones. Like maybe you had a bill that you know you could not cover, and someone steps in and covers it for you. Or maybe there's a debt of some kind, and all of a sudden you got news that that debt has been forgiven. Whether it's big or small, when someone pays a price for us, we have all kinds of emotions and thoughts and feelings when it comes to that. Some of us feel a ton of gratitude. We are so thankful that someone thought about us and cared enough for us to do something big or small for our lives. And then the, the feeling of, of hope. Like, we're not alone in this world. There's, there's people who care. I'm not just somebody flying out in the middle of the space. Someone actually wants to help me out and guide my life or help my life out. Then there's the other emotions, like shame. Some of us feel a great sense of shame because we feel that someone's paying for us, and so we have this guilt like we can't do it for ourselves. Or frustration. We have these not-so-good monologues that go on in our minds, like, you know, what did this person think? I'm some kind of charity case? Or, man, I'm not supposed to be the person whose people are helping. I'm supposed to help others. And so we have all these emotions, and they're good and bad, I have one a big one in my life that I want to share with you this, this morning. So I went to Malone University, which is a small Christian co- college in, in Canton, Ohio. Um, played football for them. My first year of college was very interesting. I, you know, I, I got to Malone mainly because I was a football player. The education always came second. I know that's not necessarily the right way to do it, but that's how I was when I was in high school and going to college. I, I learned quickly that uh, college was interesting. You, you didn't, people don't tell you how to do life in college. Uh, I didn't know how to do laundry. And someone told me after I put bleach in my jeans that that was wrong. That person became my wife. And I still don't know how. She still said yes. Uh, but she did. So at the end of my, my first semester at Malone University, um, I've come to find out that Someone who I was, someone told me everything would be covered. I thought financially I was fine for the first year. Come to find out I was about a thousand dollars short, and so I get back to campus and I basically have five days to raise a thousand dollars. Now, thousand dollars may have been a million dollars at the time because I had no job. I, I was all I was playing football and going to school, and so I, I sold pretty much everything I had of value, and I was still far, far short from hitting my $1,000 mark. The day before, I was to pretty much be moved out of Malone's you know, uh, campus. I get a knock at the door. One of my teammates came in and handed me an envelope and said, just take it, Dave, and we'll talk, we can talk later. Inside that envelope was a check for the exact amount of money that I owed, and it came from the father of a close friend of mine, Josh Robinson. Now, Josh's father, Joe, had passed away 
uh, this, past, uh, this past winter. Uh, and to this day, I'm always thankful because the, in there was a note that says, this isn't a loan, this is a gift. Go and use it well. To this day, I'm very thankful for Joe. But as a 19-year-old who had a lot of um, interesting feelings going on at the time, I wasn't nearly as grateful as I should have been because I didn't like myself at the time. I had those thoughts of shame and frustration that someone stepped in and had to save me. And I felt like I had to do all these things to make it right, even though it was stated that it wasn't a loan, it was a gift. When we look at the book of Ruth, we see in the final chapter this amazing event that happens that kind of changes the course of life for Naomi and Ruth. And it all comes down to someone stepping in at the right time to help them take care of a big problem. And we're going to see the connection between chapter 4 of Ruth and Jesus and his sacrifice for us. So if you've, you've missed the past couple of weeks, we've been talking through the book of Ruth. and want to give you some background in case you've, you're not familiar with the book. So the book of Ruth is a very small a book in the Old Testament. It's a story of Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Now, Naomi was from a very successful family from uh, Bethlehem, had to move uh, to Moab, where they had to kind of flee the area because there was a big famine in Bethlehem at the time. During this time, her son marries Ruth, and shortly thereafter, Naomi's husband and Ruth's husband both pass away. So you guys to understand the, the dynamics that's going on. Naomi's in a, in a country that really didn't get along or, or saw eye to eye with the people from Israel. And her daughter-in-law was from that country. And so you, now you have these two women who are about as different as different can be, who, who believed very different things, had very different traditions, and now they were connected to each other. So there comes a time where Naomi wants to go back to Bethlehem. Things start to, to be okay over in that area, and Naomi wants to go with her. Even though, or Ruth wants to go with, with Naomi. And even though Naomi's like, Ruth, stay here. This is your hometown. Don't come. She did not take no for an answer. And so they come back to Bethlehem, Two widows, two people who had very little, and there was a situation where the, the, the family estate needed to be redeemed. So Naomi had to figure out what she was going to do with the estate because there were no sons, so nothing could be passed down to them. So that in this time, there was a, a person called a guardian redeemer, and their job was to essentially step in and figure out the estate for people who couldn't do it themselves. And so we, we pick up our story here in Ruth chapter 4, verse 2. And it says this. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Emelak. I thought I should bring this matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it for, for them in the presence of those seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me 
so I will know. For no one has a right to it except for you, and you, and I am the next in line. And the garden redeemer said, I will redeem it. So you have a situation where Naomi and Ruth are kind of at the whims of someone else. It was some kind of relative of Naomi, but at the same time, their fate was not in their own hands. Think about the, the, the fear, the worry they may have had to go through in the midst of all this. What if this relative, this guardian redeemer, would come in and, and pay a penance, a small price for this estate? Then they're really lost. At the same time, you've got to remember, Naomi's like, family legacy is gone. In, in that time, if you had no sons, you had no legacy. You were wiped off the map for the most part. And so these, these two women, in desperate need of someone to come and make things right and, and make things okay, and they're at the hands of people that they don't really know that well. We continue in verse 5. Then Boaz says, On the day you buy the land for Naomi, you, are required, you will also require Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the, of the dead of this property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Boaz steps in and throws that little caveat out there. Says, hey, if you're going to buy the land, you, 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 these people come with it. And the guardian redeemer said, you know what, I'm good. Someone else take it, you take it, you're the next in line. And so Boaz steps in and pretty much redeems Naomi and Ruth. Their namesake is no longer gone. These broken women were now made whole because someone stepped in and, and helped them out in their biggest time of need. And we see this in an amazing end to a very, just an awesome story. A story of blessing, of brokenness, and once again, blessing again. And I love what Alex said in the first week. Alex, you know, went through the gene, genealogy. And in and, and the end of Ruth, it talks about, the, you know, how, how Naomi and Ruth are the descendants of David. And I love that, 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 that the Bible makes sure that, that is well known. I also love the fact that David is a descendant of Jesus, which means Naomi and Ruth, two people who were devastated, one being as far away from the, the, the same things that people believed, uh, are a direct descendant of Jesus. And I absolutely love that about this story. But there's more to it for us. For us in 2020, we can take our own look at this guarding redeemer story. Because we fast forward to Jesus. We fast forward to his ministry being over. It's Good Friday. He's on the cross. He's dying for our sins. And this is what happens in John 19. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scriptures might be fulfilled, he says, I thirst. Now there's a vessel full of sour wine sitting there, and they filled it with the sponge of the sour wine, and they, they put it up to his mouth. And so Jesus received the sour wine, and he said, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. It is finished. 
See, back in Jesus' time, it, it meant something different. It meant paid in full. When Jesus died, he wasn't just saying, it's finished, like I'm done here on earth. He's saying, I'm, I'm paying the debt in full with my life. And on, the, on that moment, in that, 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 that piece of history that we celebrate every single Easter, Jesus steps in and becomes our guardian redeemer for our sins. He restores our namesake. He makes us whole. He, he, he pays the debt that is rightfully ours. And that's the thing. Sin is a debt. Sin is something we all struggle with. We all have the things we just, just can't get past. All the, the, the bad moral choices, the, the things that we continue to go to even though we know we shouldn't. The, the th- stuff that keep us up at night with the guilt and shame of our past actions. Those are all part of sin. In fact, Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 6. He says, for the wages of sin is death. Think about it. What, what, what Paul's telling us that we deserve a death penalty. Those, those sins add up and we deserve death. And, and not just a physical death, we, we have a spiritual death involved with that as well. But Paul continues with the second half of that verse. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ's death on the cross, he paid our sin in full. He took a punishment that belonged to us on his shoulder. He wrote the check for the exact amount, and he handed it over to somebody for our debt to be paid for and, and us to be free from that. But like I said, when someone pays a debt, we have all kinds of emotions that come up. We talk about the, how grateful we are about Jesus, you know, cared enough that he died on the cross for us. We have this, we're full of hope that for, for God so loved the world, he sent his only son that whoever believes him will not perish but have eternal life. We have that hope. But we also have the other two emotions. We are full of shame because of the hurt our bad choices brought ourselves and others we loved. We're full of, of guilt for, the th- for constantly having to, to fall back into the things that we've done. And because of this shame, we keep God at arm's length. We, we keep our faith pretty much at a, at a stagnant point because we are so afraid to get past that shame. And then we're frustrated. We're frustrated with our own weaknesses. We're frustrated that we just can't get life right. We're frustrated that we always seem to be messing up over and over and over again. And when this happened, for a lot of us, that frustration and that shame take hold and are much louder than the hope and gratefulness that the cross brings. And because of us, because of that, we don't think God can set us free from addiction. We don't think God can save our marriages. We don't think God can help us through a financial crisis. We don't think God will continue to keep our loved ones safe and healthy. We stop engaging in church life because we think that God can never use someone like me. Or we think, you know, I know what I do. I know the things that I hide. And if that's brought to light, there's absolutely no way God's going to be able to to use me for anything besides me sitting in a pew. 
We believe that his forgiveness is only for the people who get it right, who have life kind of set. And we believe this lie. And we don't accept the joy and peace, freedom the cross promises us. If you hear nothing I say today, hear this, please. Jesus came to pay that penalty and he wants you to live free. He wants you to no longer be chained by the things that have set you uh, afar from him. He, doesn't, he wants to use you in ways you can't even imagine. In fact, that's what I love about Scripture. When you look through Old Testament, New Testament, every single person in Scripture, except for Jesus, is a hot mess. Every one of them. If you look, Dave, King David, who's considered one of the best kings ever, adulterer, murderer, you know, had, had horrible things that he did to people. Uh, you look at, at Moses, who, who started the Old Testament church, and he's like, don't send me, send anyone else, and made excuse after excuse after excuse. Look at the disciples. They're all a mess. I mean, Peter, who Jesus built the church on, denied knowing Jesus at his most vulnerable time. God's going to use you, and he wants to use you. You have to stop believing the lie we tell ourselves when it comes to our redemption. Because our redemption is real and our redemption is something that God wants to give you freely and it's something that he wants you to go and then use to affect others. Don't believe the lie the enemy constantly tells us. So what do we do from here? One of of my favorite verses in in the gospel is John 10.10. John 10.10 says this. The thief, the the enemy, Satan, the bad guy, he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I, Jesus, have come so you may have life and live it to the full. So the enemy wants to steal your hope. He wants to kill your peace and destroy your world. But Jesus wants you to, to accept this payment of debt and live life to the fullest. For some of you, that means today is the day you need to start saying yes to Jesus in all areas. Maybe you've, you've been going to church for a while now, and, and maybe it's time for you to finally say, you know, I accept Jesus as my Savior, and I'm going to live my life following him to the fullest. For some of us, it, it may mean that we need to start living like, you know, like we are truly followers of Jesus everywhere. For some, sometimes we silo our faith. We say, okay, you know, church belongs in the church, and then our faith belongs with some of our family members, but we can't really bring them into work because, you know, it might be uncomfortable, or, or we can't really bring them into school because, you know, might, people might, might like me having my faith out loud. We, we, so we talk to ourselves and talk ourselves out of living our lives as followers of Jesus everywhere. For, for some of us, it means it's time to bring him into work because your coworkers desperately need to know the peace, joy, and love that comes from Jesus. Your, your, your fellow classmates, whenever school gets back on, whether it's online, in person, or a hybrid, your, your classmates need to know that Jesus did something big for their lives. Your teammates if you, or your, your, your people you just hang out in the neighborhood, they need to know the guarding redeemer is a real thing and they're going to redeem, he wants to redeem their lives too. Maybe for some of us it's time to start sharing our faith. Maybe for some of us it's time to serve. 
There'll be a day in the future where we're going to have children's ministry back in a normal thing. And I know for a fact that Jenny King would love for you to step in and serve the children of Polaris. One of the things that we, we love here, one of our, our big core values at Polaris Christian Church is that children matter. What better way to show children that they matter than serving them? It doesn't take much. It takes someone who just wants to, to show Jesus' love to the people who Jesus himself says are the most dear to his heart. Maybe it's for you, it's serving in, in our student ministry. I'm a, I've been doing student ministry now for, for going on, I think, 12 years um, here at Polaris. And I'll tell you, there are high school kids who desperately need someone just to listen to them. There are middle school kids who desperately want someone to be okay with the smell, uh, be okay with the weirdness that middle school brings, and just care about them. There are people in your community that need to be served as well. Find your cause and serve it with your whole heart. Find it. It's out there. God has created you for a purpose. You are not to be, the church is not a, a passive thing. If, if church is meant to be active, it's meant to be engaged in. I love the story of Ruth. I love that God showed us this, this amazing, redemptive story in the lives of these two women. And he connects it to his son. I love that today, in 2020, despite COVID, despite frustrations of what's going on politically and, and, and financially, despite all the stuff that's happening in our world that we have zero control over, God's redemptive story is still relevant, still powerful, and it's still very real. Our debt is paid in full. Our lives are meant to be lived in freedom. Let's pray.